0: Albert, the team, and the brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest in this edition of Fangraphs Audio is analyzing the League Championship Series for the second time. The first time was a couple days ago, uh, or before the weekend at least, right before the, these, these same LCSs began. Now we are uh, three or and two games into them, respectively, as of the uh, recording that is featured here uh, it's Dave Cameron. If I didn't say that, it's Dave Cameron, who is the managing editor of Fangraphs Audio, analyzing all LCSs. In fact, uh, not a lot of mystery so far as that's concerned. So let's uh, l- allow me to take you directly to that conversation. It's a conversation I had earlier today, earlier on Tuesday. That is with managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Good 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 good. yeah nice to talk to you. you too <laughs> all right let's uh we're gonna do this we we've gone like uh, close to 20 minutes I think you had originally suggested something to maybe like more like 10
1: right well, there's fewer games to talk about today
0: yeah so maybe we could do it hey listen so I have a I have a qu- uh, question of a poser. Yeah. For yeah. you, uh, b- before we begin discussing the playoffs briefly, I was working on the uh, contract crowdsourcing today, thinking about uh, free agents and what they'll be yep. receiving in um, before next season. And I, I don't know if it's be- maybe because I started the list while the season was still going or whatnot, but I had included Ubaldo Jimenez, who has a right. $8 million club option. Yeah. At well, this po- it's,
1: it's not a club option. It's a player option.
0: Oh, ah, Well, then that's different.
1: Yeah, he can opt out and become a free agent. And he's going
0: to. Oh, of course. Wait, why did yeah. I think it was a club option then?
1: Um, stupidity?
0: Yeah, it seems like that's the, uh, we're using Occam's Razor right now. Alright. Occam's yeah. Razor is
1: I, I think that, uh, you know, anytime we accuse you of being stupid, we have to take advantage of that.
0: Okay, wait. Hmm. Well, then, let me. <laughs> this is awkward because I, I guess the uh, somehow I found that at, uh, Cots. And at cots it's listed as a club option.
1: Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong. There's mm. been significant discussion about how Baldo Jimenez is going to opt out and whether the Indians are going to make him a qualifying offer uh, and then what his market value will be if Oh, in.
0: yeah, of course. Yeah, of course he's going to be. I mean, he pitched so well.
1: Yeah, right. And he's, he's still young-ish. I mean, he's not on the the uh, you know downside of his career, at least from an age perspective. Uh, so you combine a you know a guy still in his twenties uh, who used to throw 100 miles an hour and then pitched really well for half a season, he's going to get paid.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Oh wait wait here's here's what uh, here's the explanation. The Indians hold an eight million dollar option in Jimenez, but the 2011 trade triggered a clause that will allow him to void the option if he wishes.
1: Well, yeah, there you go, so there he you will go. he will be voiding that,
0: option. okay, so there you go, there it is, right, so it is technically a club option, uh, but it's allowed to be voided because he was traded, so there we are we're we're to the bottom of everything there,
1: right, um an avoidable club option of a player option, that's another word for it,
0: oh yeah, that's uh yeah, so well done uh <laughs> but here's here's the question I had, regardless of all that. it's still relevant is what is the most over the course of one season? What is the most that a player, do you think, can improve his free agent value? And I asked that because at the beginning, I think last year Jimenez posted almost, a, you know, something like a zero war or whatever, right? Yeah, he was yeah, walking. He was bad, yeah. Right. yeah, right. And 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 it was surprising because he had been uh, quite good in years previous, and also because he, you know, he st- and he still had last year uh, in the 2012 season, he still had physical skills, right. Uh, maybe a little less velocity. Anyway, anyway, besides that point, he had a great season this year, and he was particularly great in the second half.
1: Yes. and uh, it certainly helped his value.
0: Of course, yeah. I don't think it's the most that anyone that any player has improved his value over the course of a single season. But my question is, hypothetically, how much could a player do that given the current market?
1: I think probably a good amount. I think uh, you know probably the best example of this is Adrian Beltray in 2004, right? A, a long time disappointing player from a physical standpoint, never lived up to the prospect hype, and then out of nowhere, uh, you know, hits 48 home runs and plays amazing defense at age 26. Uh, so he's hitting the market in his prime, coming off a 10-win season, uh, landed a $65 million contract when the year before is potentially on the non-tendered list. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly not looked like a guy who was going to get a lot of money. 65 million, you know, maybe not the most money, but a pretty good amount of money 10 years ago. Um, so I think that's probably the best example we can find of someone who really massively improved their stock, but, you know, he had a 10-win season to do it. Uh, Eduardo Jimenez did not have a 10-win season.
0: Right. And now curious, it, cause, cause I know that you followed Beltre very closely while, when he was with Seattle. And w- when he was with seattle you you were al- you're always making the point uh he's better than everyone thinks he is rough you know, or not everyone, but he's better than ninety percent of people thinks he is,
1: yeah, he was probably I would say the most underrated player of our generation. I right. think his reputation in l a and then the contract year there have been so many um kind of negative things even associated with his good play um that I think overall. Uh, people have missed the fact that for you know going on fifteen years now, Adrian Beltre has been an excellent baseball player
0: right and so I uh, something I didn't realize maybe even until just a second ago is that even when he wasn't having uh fabulous seasons or what seemed like fabulous seasons at the time, and of course, this is you know this this before I was introduced to a lot of this information uh he was still a four win player like or at least a three win player uh four out of those you know five seasons before that ten win season.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, I think the the idea that Beltrade was a huge disappointment was based on the fact that he was a, an elite prospect, considered maybe the best prospect in baseball when he was coming up through the minor leagues, and then he didn't hit. Uh, and a huge amount of his value came from defense, uh, which people, you know, don't often give the most respect to. Uh, so the fact that Adrian Beltrade was a 20-run defender at third base, uh, was kind of glossed over in the fact that he, you know, he wasn't a 40-home run power hitter like people had assumed.
0: Now, with regards to, so, you the, know, the, obviously, In terms of uh, assessing defense or putting it on the scale of runs and wins, we have on the one hand, like you said, he's a 20 run defender. That's, that's how many runs he saves, uh, approximately a third base. And then of course, you know, we have that and then we also have a positional adjustment. Um, in theory, if a, you know, if a, if a player is a 20 run third baseman, then he would be approximately like a 12 and a half or a 15 run shortstop.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it varies for each player. I mean, there are some players who are going to be more skilled to third base at charging the bunt, and they have different skill sets mm-hmm. that will work better at certain positions, and I think Beltran is probably one of those where, uh, you know, his specific skills, his reaction time, allowed him to be very good at third base. He would have been uh, probably taken a bigger hit if he had moved to shortstop. Uh, I think he probably would have been more like an average shortstop, but there are pro- certainly some uh kind of trade-offs that you can say where if you move to shortstop to third base, or a third baseman to shortstop, it would cost them approximately this many runs, even though it doesn't work perfectly for everyone.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's what I was curious about. Is I was going to say, you know, what sort of shortstop do you think he'd have been? But you think that maybe something about his skill set um, is sort of specifically tailored to the demands of third base.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you know, we kind of think of third base as an instant reaction quickness uh position and and shortstop is a lateral range movement uh kind of position. And I think uh Beltre excels at quickness and reactions and the things that work really well at third base. Uh at shortstop he he has good lateral range, certainly for a third baseman, but I don't think he would have been able to stack up against the you know Omar Viscales of the world in terms of going left to right wouldn't have covered as much ground as most other shortstops
0: well okay so we're, we're talking about defense and uh that's uh i think that provides a uh, an excellent segue to discussion at least of one of the championship series that is currently going on and uh that's the one between boston and detroit uh, you wrote a post about it uh, it was clear uh hope, hopefully to um you know to people uh, even without having their attention called to it uh, <laughs> the the end of that game um, well, that game was actually like a nice distillation of, of at least two parts of the, the Detroit Tigers. Um, carrying over from game one, a, it uh, you know sort of featured their starting pitching, which has been ridiculous over the first two games. I think they've allowed – what, between Scherzer and, and Anibal Sanchez, they've allowed three hits total.
1: Uh yeah, something like that. They, they their starting pitchers had three consecutive no-hitters into the sixth inning. <laughs> no, no team in the postseason had ever done that twice in a row. They did it three games in a row.
0: Right, okay. So they they're good. We knew they were good. And um and so this is the this is the weird thing with with the way the the way in which the uh, Detroit prevents runs, right? Cuz there's such a stark uh there's such a stark difference between the quality of their pitching, which is rather high, and then the quality of their fielding, which is rather low, and unfortunately, uh, that that second thing I, I guess reared its head uh, in the latter stages of that of game two. Or, uh, unfortunately for Detroit, uh, fortunately for Boston.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know, obviously watching Cabrera not be able to move on that ground ball, and then fielder failed to scoop the ball, then dropped the ball in the stands, and then you know Avila not be able to block a fastball that didn't even bounce in the dirt. Uh you know it was a unfortunate series of circumstances for the Tigers that certainly highlighted some deficiencies um on their team, but I think you know depending on how skeptical people are of the value of defense, this has kind of been a playoff series or a playoff run overall that kind of uh leans towards the offense and pitching game. I think anyone who watched the Cardinals Dodgers game last night would agree that that was not a uh A stalwart defensive uh, battle. You had John Jay regularly misplaying balls in the outfield. Andre Ethier was playing center field for the Dodgers, and Andre Ethier not a very good defensive corner outfielder when he's healthy, and he's not healthy. So you have a hobbled Andre Ethier in center field. Hanley Ramirez uh, with a broken rib is playing shortstop. Uh, Hanley Ramirez is not known for his defensive capabilities. Overall, the Cardinals are a pretty awful defensive team. Uh, the Dodgers, not a great one either. So I think, you know, the Red Sox are really the only team left of the four that, uh, you know, have good defenders on the field. Uh, they're not a stellar defense. They're not the Royals or, or the Diamondbacks, but, you know, but of the four teams left, they're the only one who isn't almost embarrassing.
0: Yeah. And they also, but uh, a number of those clubs that you invoked have pitchers who can strike the hell out of uh, opposing batters.
1: That helps. If you're going to have a terrible defense, having amazing pitching, uh, not a not a terrible idea. I think one of the things that maybe gets lost, you know, obviously Fangrass were big champions of the value of defense. Um, but I think, you know, what's important is run prevention. It's not whether it's pitching or defense, it's it's some combination of the two. And you can get to really great run prevention with good pitching and good defense or great pitching and okay defense, or okay pitching and great defense, that's a little harder. Uh, but I think, you know, the idea is that you just keep the other team from scoring. How you do it doesn't really matter. So while we like defense and we're fans of, you know, crediting defenders for their value, uh, we should also recognize that if you have amazing pitching and they never allow balls in play, defense not going to kill you.
0: Now, um, okay, one play I wanted to discuss was, this was the, um, this was an important one, it was the... Uh, the Johnny Gomes grounder to, well, fill in the position, I guess, you yeah, want. Right. Is, is it to third base? Is it to shortstop?
1: Jose yeah, Iglesias
0: but... ended up fielding it is the point. Right.
1: That was a ground ball to third base that Jose Iglesias fielded.
0: Okay. One thing I thought maybe you were a little bit unfair to Miguel Cabrera because you compared it to an earlier play, uh, a ball that uh, Miguel Cabrera had gotten to, I think, Um that was sort of right at the cutout of third base. Are the Detroit Tigers playing no-doubles defense at that point in the ninth inning.
1: Yeah, I mean, I talked about that in the article. Uh, and there's a giant graph that said, you know, here's what no-doubles defense looks like, and the players shifted over. I think I actually absolved Cabrera of maybe even too much blame in talking about how that was more of a positioning issue than a range issue. Um, because I do think, you know... Cabrera was playing pretty close to the line. Oh, That's yeah, look at that. that. Yeah,
0: you do have a giant graph that says no doubles right. now that I think if, of it. If you
1: if you would have actually read the article. Well, uh, then, I, I'm i
0: actually know. the opposite of a lot of people. I, I don't look at the pictures. I just read all the words. Did you did you mention words? Oh, yeah, it looks like you yeah, did too.
1: There's several paragraphs about the no doubles ah, defense. Maybe uh, by – Some people refer to it as the more singles offense. Is <laughs> that was a little Which joke is. you made? Uh, I think I'm stealing that from Keith Law on Twitter actually.
0: Oh, yeah, look at that. Hey this is a pretty good piece you wrote. I I know. If only you had researched. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um right, so so what is that even 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 after accounting for the no doubles defense? Uh you think this is uh, still a question of uh uh, there's still a question of range for Miguel Cabrera.
1: I mean, I think it's both. I think if, if, what we saw earlier in the game is that in normal position, Miguel Cabrera makes that play, right? I mean, the, you know, the Ellsbury grounder was a high chopper, so he had a little more time to get to it, but it wasn't close. It wasn't a ball that he had to lunge to, and the, it was further toward the second base bag than Gomes' hit. I think if you look at kind of a standard p- position of a third baseman, even a non rangey third baseman, they stand about where the ball uh, from Gomes ended up going. If Cabrera wouldn't have been stationed in a normal position, his range wouldn't have been a factor. The question then becomes, uh, is Miguel Cabrera athletic enough in his current form to even attempt the no-doubles defense? If you know that you will stick him on the line and he can't get to a routine ground ball, then either he shouldn't be playing the field or you shouldn't be doing a no-doubles defense.
0: So, here's a question. So, uh, I, there was a, um, David Lorla recently did one of his player's view pieces, right? and it was uh, i think it was a pretty simple question who's the best player right yeah and uh, it was about half and half for cabrera and trout yep yeah. um a certain percentage of the, the players typically those citing mike trout as the best player or, or at least adding him to the conversation cited his defense and uh, certainly those who were uh, discussing you know who cited cabrera mentioned his offense i mean it's actually a little bit surprising to me that more players um and or even sort of uh what you consider maybe more traditional members of the sporting media are not able to necessarily account entirely for for uh the Cabrera's lack of range and, and lack of defensive acumen.
1: Yeah, I mean I think if you read that piece, uh I mean I'm assuming you read that piece and bringing it up. I appeared, uh, yeah, I appeared to, right. yeah. Uh, so Cabrera, there's actually a bunch of comments about how Cabrera's not that bad at third base. Like three or four different players. Yeah, say, interesting, you know, interesting. He he's okay there. He's not terrible at third base because I think the reality is that players are still mostly judging their own defensive performance on errors. Uh, and the Cabrera does not make a lot of errors. Like if you watch him, he doesn't boot balls that are hit directly at him. He's not throwing the ball into the stands. The go Cabrera makes the plays that he can make, and I think this is where the uh, impression of him being an adequate defensive third baseman comes from it's along the same lines of Derek Jeter right like Derek Jeter hardly ever uh booted a ball he turned all the double plays uh, his throws were accurate Uh you know I think the idea of Derek Jeter being a really good defensive shortstop came from his steadiness uh, Miguel Cabrera is steady at third if you know occasionally uh awful at moving side to side and letting balls roll by him that's not something that people have been conditioned to blame on the fielder. Like, uh, you know, even with the the play in the ninth inning the other night, there was not a massive outcry of, I can't believe Miguel Cabrera couldn't get to a routine ground ball. It was Jose Iglesias made a throwing error, because that's what everyone saw. Jose Iglesias picked up the ball, threw it, and it went into the stands, and Johnny goes ended up on second base. Uh, I think people have just been conditioned to look at defense in a specific way that kind of emphasizes the thing that Cabrera is good at and de-emphasizes the thing that he's really awful at.
0: Right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And, of course, I mean, I don't know what percentage of them, uh, but uh, I don't know. Jose Iglesias in some worlds doesn't really have any business even getting to that ball probably.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say exactly where he was positioned because Fox never showed us, like, an overhead camera angle. My guess is that he was probably shifted toward Cabrera's side uh, with a right-handed uh, hitter at the plate, um, knowing that Rick Purcell is a ground ball guy. Uh, ground balls are almost always pulled. So I think pr- most likely Iglesias was probably playing pretty deep in the, in the shortstop hole already, especially knowing Cabrera's hugging the line. Uh, so he might not have ranged quite as far as it would look just from where he fielded the ball. But thanks to Fox not showing us, we don't really have any idea. You've been a little bit,
0: a uh, little bit picky uh, about the uh, camera angles, both on TBS and Fox.
1: I think uh, TBS has been atrocious. I mean, I don't. I'm not one of these giant media critics who wants to do a, a huge takedown of covering the announcers. And um, you know, I think announcing baseball games for four hours is very hard. Uh, but TBS has been really awful. I mean, just from, uh, like, really poor, uh, technical things with their cameras showing the wrong angles, uh, and their commentary has just been, like, above and beyond stupid.
0: Okay, uh, let's move our attention to the other series here. Here's the thing, uh, w- um, watching over the game, uh, between, between those Dodgers, um, and, uh, you know, whatever the Cardinals there, yeah, uh, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, I think I'm saying Ryu, Ryu. Ryu, that sound, Ryu yeah. That yeah. sounds about right. Um, Ryu threw. I I saw no fewer than two fastballs at 95 miles per hour, which seems a lot faster than he'd thrown during the course of the season. Do we have reason to believe that those readings are accurate, or is that uh, something going on with a uh, pitch effects or uh, stadium gun or whatever?
1: Yeah, I haven't looked at the pitch effects chart to know whether it agrees, but I I think that when it happens twice, it's less likely to be a, a stadium gun. Flare up than it is to say Ryu was probably just a little pumped up and uh, you know in an adrenaline situation uh, you know he, he was throwing harder than he normally does and I think this is something we've observed throughout the season uh, of you know there were a bunch of near no hitters this year and you know several no hitters uh, where guys started throwing harder later in the game when they were protecting a no hitter uh, which suggests that there is another level of oomph that a pitcher can get on his fastball. Uh, when he's properly motivated and that they pitch at a, a certain velocity, uh, in order to sustain their own health and, and well-being over a long period of time. But when it becomes clear that, you know, a little extra is called for, pitchers seem to have that in reserve and have the ability to throw harder, uh, if they think it's necessary.
0: Um, yeah, and actually I should say, uh, uh well, I don't know. I don't know if we're allowed to divulge it. I'm divulging it anyway, so that's what's happening. But the Hardball Times, Annual is a thing that comes out every year. That's yeah, I called. think
1: people should expect that an annual would be released. Once a year? Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, I was uh, working on a leaderboard uh, looking at the 10 best pitches over the course of the season in terms of uh, runs above average per 100 thrown, minimum 250 thrown, and uh, Ryu's changeup is on there.
1: Yeah, his changeup is awesome. I mean, that's really his – like, his fastball is okay, his breaking ball is kind of meh. His changeup is
0: terrific. Okay. Yeah. Well it's uh what you're saying is a fact and uh I guess we'll see if it you know if it carries over into last year or to next year, but um uh yeah, he had one of the best change ups and uh he did a good job uh he did a good job in game two insofar as he allowed zero runs.
1: Yeah, that's uh not a terrible thing for a pitcher to do.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. So what is that? That series is one one now. Uh I think uh, uh it's one one. Two one. Oh god, two one already, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Those Dodgers should start winning, shouldn't they?
1: Well, they did last night.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So they've started winning. They should continue right. winning if they, they want now to. now
1: should, they should continue winning. And it sounds like there's a chance they're going to pull the old three games, uh, rest starter bag out of the trick again. Once again, skipping Rick Nolasco and maybe starting Zach Granke in short rest on, uh, in game four, uh, which would then set them up to throw Clayton Kershaw in short rest in game five. And here we go again.
0: Yeah, you're right. That, that happened, uh, that happened again. The, uh, um, <clears throat> oh, what was I going to say? It's, uh, very insightful. Uh, super insightful. Oh yeah, uh, Don Mattingly. And I guess that's, that's one of Don Mattingly's choices right there. Uh, uh Don Mattingly's, uh, I guess been, um, called to task, uh, for, for a, a number of different calls. Um, certainly one of them has been his, his, uh, how he's deployed the bullpen, uh, leaving Kenley Jansen, for example, out there in the bullpen while, um, what uh, Brian Wilson, I guess, was uh, if not loading the bases, at least putting men on, and then uh, just uh, this was a game one, I believe, and uh, Kenley Jansen just came out in order to give up what a one of Carlos Beltran's infinite uh, game-winning hits uh, is, uh, is. Is the way that Mattingly has been uh, using the bullpen has it been any different than we would expect from any other manager?
1: No, it's it's super traditional. Hold your closer till the you know, have a save situation, even the next training. Awesome. Uh, Mattingly is just doing things by the book. I mean, I don't think it's fair to signal, uh, signal out Mattingly and say, oh man, his bullpen management has been atrocious. Uh, it, this is the Tony LaRusso bullpen model that every manager has been using for the last 30 years. Uh, you have a setup man and a closer and they are used in strict roles and, uh, you don't kind of pay attention to the opposing, uh, lineup and where you are in the order. You just deploy your eighth inning guy in the eighth inning, your ninth inning guy in the ninth inning, uh, and, and, that's kind of it and so i think you know mattingly is not thinking outside the box he's not doing anything uh you know to help his team win above and beyond what the book tells him to do but you know he didn't write this book
0: and just to 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 review it briefly if we're giving managers in this case the benefit of the doubt uh what do we what do we think is the value of for the players the players themselves of having these sorts of rules
1: I mean, I think there absolutely is some kind of value to predetermined roles and players knowing their structure, knowing their routine, uh, in the regular season. I think getting through six months, uh, understanding that, you know, I'm going to show up at the park every day. I'm going to stretch at a certain time. I'm going to, uh, you know, um, start kind of doing my calisthenics in the third inning and, you know, for seven o'clock games, that means that, like nine o'clock and I'm going to go to sleep at a certain time. I think through a six month season, that's, uh, probably a really good thing it's helpful for the body i think all that goes away in october i think the game times are different uh the number of days off are different the adrenaline is different uh you know obviously the stakes are much higher i think in general in the postseason um the rules don't apply anymore and whatever uh kind of long-term six-month plan you needed to get through the regular season it should go away and you, the only question at this point is how do I win these games? And if you can, uh, win these games by asking a pitcher to do something he hasn't done, like they did with Clayton Kershaw starting on three days rest, then you do that. And I think, uh, maintaining a player's stretching and sleeping regimen, uh, in postseason takes a backseat to winning.
0: Kenley Jansen's really good too. You yeah, should let yeah. him pitch as many innings as he's going to be effective for because when he pitches,
1: he gets everyone out. Yeah, his cutter is kind of the, uh, Mariano Rivera cutter of the National League.
0: Right. I mean, is he going to develop? In, I mean, it's different. Everyone's different. Mariano Rivera is the most different, if that's possible. Okay. Uh, but, uh, I mean, he has the one pitch and it goes, he just throws it by everybody.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, if there is a successor to Rivera, uh, we've never seen a pitcher like Rivera. We may never see one again. So it's unfair to expect Kenley Jansen to do this for 20 more years, but, if there's a successor to Rivera's one-pitch cutter, strikeouts, uh, doesn't walk anyone, um, kind of mantle, uh, it's Jansen. He's the, he does the exact same thing and it works really well. Uh, you know, durability was kind of Rivera's, um, trademark and the fact that he never got worse ever. Uh, even when he in his last year, he was still amazing. Uh, I don't think we can expect that from Jansen, but, uh, you know, I think, he would be the guy you would pick to be the next Rivera if you were picking one
0: okay alright well you are uh, oh you're way done yeah you've uh, we've done too much already it's uh, it's ridiculous yeah yeah. alright well let's uh, well well, thank you though thank you Dave Cameron thank you yeah that's uh, Dave Cameron managing editor of Fangraphs uh, an important website on the internet I think we can all agree I'm Carson Sestouli uh, and that's been Fangraphs Audio